This is Masters Cast, the first He-Man and She-Ra podcast, episode number 28 for Sunday, September 9th, 2007. Hello, thanks for downloading. I'm John Callis, also known as The Shadow. I'm Martin Penny, also known as Wacky Martin. Uh, I, I guess I'm James E. Tuckman as Buster Jones. And finally, I'm Alex Hawkey, also known as Scorpia. And we want to welcome Alex, his first time on the podcast. Hello. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank was you. someone clapping then? I was clapping. I don't have an applause <laughs> machine that costs money. <laughs> Lead the way, John. All right. So today's episode <clears throat> is all about our favorite series of all time, She-Ra, Princess of Power. Because That's your final. favorite series. Yours too, I'm sure. And Alex's. <laughs> uh, I'm outnumbered. <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, Please, no. This is, oh, no. This is be like... Alex. <laughs> oh, no. I have to actually listen. All right, hold on. Oh. It wasn't because I, I, I said about it not being my favorite series. He hung up in protest. <laughs> <laughs> I might leave this in. This is good stuff. Yeah, it could be like, you know. Oh, here he comes again. Alex, are you there? I'm picking up the spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Okay. Did you find where Alex was hiding today? Take <laughs> another look. Okay. Alex is back with us, and we're going to talk about She-Ra, Princess of Power, Season 2 on DVD now. Go buy it or die. <laughs> it's strong. Figuratively it's speaking. <laughs> but, you know. Sometimes I'll, I'll, people tell. <laughs> Now, Alex, why don't you explain how you got to work on DVDs? Uh, well, I suppose uh, it all started when I became a mad psycho fan uh, <laughs> in terms of She-Ra and uh, obviously through knowing James, harassed him like crazy. Um, and he actually said that he was going to ask me anyway, which is, uh, which is nice to know. So um, This is true. The rest is history. <laughs> Now, what all did you provide uh, content-wise for the DVDs? Uh, James, you want to answer this, or you go for it, Alex? Yeah, okay. Uh, well, basically, we um, for the for the four DVDs, so that's including the best of. We provided the trivia, the synopses for the for all of the episodes, uh, and the character bios. We also added a few suggestions in terms of um, potential images they could use on the on the panels. Um, and, uh, yeah, a, a few sort of creative uh, consultation bits, shall we say. Very good, very good. And uh, Alex did a, a, pretty, a pretty stellar job of all the uh, chapter titles as well. Oh, oh yeah, they're, they're always going to be fun, actually, because it means that you can kind of come up with, with episode titles of your own, whether they be sort of, you know, the more serious right. ones, <laughs> tongue-in-cheek ones, it's, it's a laugh, it's cool. All right, well, if you go to your local store or order online, She-Ra Season 2 has a bluish, sky bluish cover, and it has She-Ra, Glimmer, and Bow on the front. Any comments on packaging, my friends? Um, I, I love what Emiliano did, which is predictable of me to say, but um, um, I, I really like the She-Ra pose. It's, it's very, very filmation, but it's something that they never actually used. There you so go. He's done a fantastic job in making you know, the new poses look so true to the original. So, yeah, mad props to Emiliano. I like the Horde Trooper on the side. Yes. I was expecting someone like <laughs> Shadow Weaver, but they gave a Horde Trooper, which was nice. And Adora's on the back. 
Indeed. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I guess we should we should delve into the uh, oh the art cards. Duh. Um, not my favorites. Yeah, I must comment. <laughs> Can I comment? Oh, go for it. <laughs> um, comment for me. <laughs> yeah, I will. Um, I'll be representing the Brits. Although, Martin, you can join me on this. Um, Natasha, Natasha and Spinarella one, I love the idea of, of having them fight Multibot and Modulox. Because obviously, neither Multibot or Modulox featured in Season 2, and Spinarella and Natasha being only Season 2 characters. But it's, um, it's pretty bloody. It's quite, quite violent, actually. Um, <laughs> And obviously, you know, we're moving more into sort of the adult vein with the art cards because it's obviously much less sort of filmationized than um, than the box art and, of course, the content. But um, I'm not sure if I'm a fan. I'm, uh, I, I like the fact that it was a kid's show, uh, but a kid's show with mature angles doesn't have to involve blood and fists, <laughs> in my opinion. Controversial or not. <laughs> I've just noticed that um, Lukey is standing behind the battle in the one country. Oh, I think he's he'll be killed if he stands there. Must <laughs> be appreciative of that. I think is that by um, the artist You. that was yes. It is. Sorry, James. He's quite. He's quite a big comic artist, and the um, he, I think he still is. He was. He was Phenomenal for a good few years. But I was kind of surprised by the. Oh, maybe we should cut this. I was going to say by the quality of it. But, uh, <laughs> it's just not one of my favourites. I, I think it's almost impossible to top the Bruce Tim. Um, yeah, Bruce Tim one years ago. I mean, it's, it's brilliantly drawn, obviously. Um, yeah. Everything. I mean, I like the other one. The other one's lovely with uh, with Seahawk and Adora with um, Hordak and Shadow even watching over them. It's also almost got that feel of the old books, especially the mini world ones which come to mind. I don't know if, if many people have actually got those, but um, the art of Shadow Weaver especially is um, very sort of true to that. And it's nice to see Lucky dancing around in the background as well with um, the solar sailor above Seahawk and Adora. So yeah, it's a nice one. It um on that card. <laughs> It looks as though Hordak smiling down upon them. <laughs> I noticed. He's happy. Like the, yeah, that's my Adora. <laughs> <laughs> She's found love. The mum and dad looking over the two kids. Yeah. <laughs> her getting his boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> we know what you've been up to, kind of thing. <laughs> I'm sure Hordak would have made a more interesting father than King Randall. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like it's got all the makings of a classic sitcom. Like, Seahawk comes in, and there's Papa Hordak by the staircase. What, what time do you call this? <laughs> oh, no. no. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Married with the Horde. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> all right. I, we should start into the episodes. Do we want to highlight anything on disc one? Because I do, but... Uh, what episode from this one? <clears throat> one to count on, Return of the General, Out of the Cocoon, A Lesson in Love, Something Old, Something New, and Lookie's Sweetie. Ah, it's all the six episodes that were released in the UK, because the UK didn't get any of season two, apart from the first six on, uh, on official VHS. That's right. Uh, it came in weird quality as well. Um, the sound was very muffled, and the picture was... Um, 
it wasn't bad, but it just it looked a bit sort of passily. I don't know if uh, if anyone knows what the hell I'm talking about here. No, no, I do. With with the audio as well, what you could do is um, you could actually separate the voc the voice from the audio track. It's right. quite, quite very weird. Very weird. Mm. Nice little thing to have though, because I think you could do that with a couple with the um, a couple of the American ones, couldn't you? It was a wild child. Yeah, wild child, yeah. One, yeah. yeah. Um, but certainly, I mean, the episodes that, that kick off season two. Um, in my opinion, you've got the best one starting us off in one to count on. Um, and it, it kind of doesn't have the makings of a classic when you, when you look at the ingredients. There's no Hordak there. There's no Shadow Weaver. There's no He-Man crossover. All you've got is the kind of the regular rebels alongside Pika Blue uh, and, and a random Twigget sprint who, you know, is only in one episode in season one. Um, and throw them in with Catra and Leech, um, and of course this new villainess in Traptor, who is an absolute star, um, who steals what to count on, and, uh, and Romeo and Glimmer, which she appears in later, um, and, and Claudine. So it's very much a sort of toy-oriented um, episode, I think. Um, but it's, it's obviously, it's all down to the writing. And um, it's the rebels' dependency on Shira, I suppose, because the the Crystal Crown is quite important when it boils down to it. You know, that's the only reason they go off um, on a mission is to, to rescue this crown, which is stolen by Leech um, as a trap, which the trap to set. And um, it's all about the rebels depending on Shira to save them. You know, when they get into trouble, and of course, in season one, they do that a lot. So um, it's a good observation by by the two writers, Karen Karen Wilson and Chris Weber, I think it was. Um, and uh, like I said, I don't, they're not really a better start to season two, I think. With, uh, with He-Man, of course, He-Man had um, The Cat and the Spider, which is a great epic. One to count on isn't an epic, but it's a great mm-hmm. a storytelling story. A great yarn, shall we say. I just wish <laughs> they would have used Intracta more in season two. Oh, definitely. Definitely. As the only new villain, it's a crime that she was only, you know, she only had two speaking roles. And yeah, there were two big mm-hmm. But um, and then she popped up occasionally, just sort of you know poked her head around the door. Hello, I'm still here, but <laughs> not allowed to speak um, in the Time Transformer and um, Portrait of Doom. But um, no, completely wasted character. I think she's brilliant. Well, one of my favourites is next: Return of the General. It's a good one. Sorry, was that a prompt for me to talk? <laughs> go for it. Go for it. <laughs> shall, shall I let yeah. anyone? Today, or shall I just waffle on? Um, yeah, Return of General, obviously the first sort of reappearance of a guest character from season one in General Sunder, uh, and Mally, I suppose, who often gets forgotten. And um, probably the strangest thing about this one is that they've suddenly got a child who's about three years old, and it was only about ten episodes uh, ten episodes ago that they first met. So I, I don't know whether, you know, pregnancy... Things move fast in Etheria. I was going to say, yeah, really, really sped up. Um, or they, they chose to adopt, who knows. Um, but so, yeah, they've got this little kid now, and, uh, and Sunder's retired to being just a farmer as opposed to, to a soldier. So he's Farmer Sunder, not General Sunder. Um, but, of course, he gets roped back into the action by Shira when, and it's, it's quite a heartbreaking scene, I'm sure you'll agree, is when Sunder comes home and realises that, um, that Hordak has, has destroyed his, his family's house. Um, and taken with him, Mally and Tulsi's girl. Um, and the reaction from Sunder is just heartbreaking when he kind of falls to his knees and, you know, says, Mally, Tulsi, you know, he's taken my, my wife and my child. Um, and obviously now... It's so, Sunder, it's, yeah, damn straight. He uh, realises his duty. 
They should have made a General Sunder action figure. Oh, totally. I think if Film Action had had their way, they would have done. Because there were so many characters in Season 2 they brought back from Season 1 that, that never had figures. It was quite strange. So... Well, next up, Out of the Cocoon, important episode, since we basically get a semi-origin of Flutterina. Should have been a flashback episode. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Go on, Alex. Should we just, just explain why? <laughs> the, the mysteries of, of Flutterina are just vast. because She's appeared in <laughs> Castle already in, in the big crowd scene at the start. And I mean, it's kind of blink and you'll miss it thing. She's there with Pika Blue. Um, and this is about, I mean, this is sort of in, in the, the very, very early episodes. So it's, um, I think back then, I don't know if the, the figure would have even been out then, so it's strange to see her there. Um, and of course, she's in the Christmas special, hanging up some decorations, just sort of um, helping out um, at the, the party on Eternia. But um, no, I, I totally agree with James. James's point, it should have been a flashback episode. Um, but the thing with that with the cocoon is it's, it's kind of it's fragmented. It's nice that you've got this, um, this storyline going on with the drought. Uh, and the famine in Sand Valley, but at the same time, you've got these little, little sub bits with with Glimmer wondering about her plants at the start and at the end oh, of the yeah. episode, <laughs> and then you've got Flutterina's dramatic transformation, or sort of small ones, dramatic transformation as she's known, um, into Flutterina, where they actually use the same music as in the problem with power, the great oh, emo, right, yeah. when he throws his sword into the abyss. Um, and you, you know, you've got lightning bolts and these great kind of flashing images, um, and then all of a sudden, there she is. She emerges from this cocoon um, as a butterfly. It's totally strange because why a butterfly? I mean, obviously we know that, that Flutterina was designed to be a butterfly, but you know, why not? Uh, and they want a turkey. <laughs> <laughs> Probably wouldn't have the same effect. No, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's just very odd. It's, I mean. And, Don Hequin, I've questioned his um, kind of writing choices for the last <laughs> seven, eight years, so um, I've just learned to accept it, to be honest. <laughs> Didn't we question a lot of his work on Ghostbusters? And he, man. He's a hit and misser. Well, real quick, before we jump to uh, disc two, we need to mention that Lucky Sweetie has um, an awesome new character. And shows the slime pit as envisioned by Filmation. Mm. And uh, Martin, why don't you tell us about uh, that awesome new character that's in Loki, Sweetie? Oh, I can't even remember her name. Hang on. No, 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 no. Awesome. Awesome new character. Oh, not that one. Yeah, Yeah, the excellent new character, Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Slime Pig. Yes. (laughs) Introduced. And Shiro just calls him Mr. Slime Pig. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have a formal introduction. She just, like, just, this character is clearly called Mr. Slime Pig, as he lives <laughs> in the slime pit. He's a pig. He could Come be up, called John. <laughs> Thank goodness he wasn't called John. I'd have to. That'd be my avatar, would have to be Mr. Slime Pig. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> One of the main reasons we love Bob Forward is Mr. Slime Pig. <laughs> That's it. Oh, um, top ten. I had some trivia about the slime pit I was going to share. Oh, go ahead. Although uh, in this episode they don't actually use like the proper toy version of the slime pit. It was supposed to like make slaves out of people. Um, many years later, um, Mattel did their uh, King Arthur 
and sure. the Knights of Justice line, mm-hmm. and um, they re-released the slime pit as a toy for that. Ah. And there was an episode of the cartoon where oh. they used the slime pit to like really? enslave oh. one of the knights. No. Wait, and does it look like the toy? Um, I've not seen it for many a year, <laughs> but I think it did. Yes, wasn't that released somewhere? The- that cartoon. Um, I think there's like one DVD uh, of a few episodes, which I have. It was uh, written by Jack Aleska, funnily enough. Oh, wow. ha! Our good friend Jack. Um, <laughs> I love the theme song, by the way, to that Arthur Knights of Justice cartoon as his little side. Nice. He's off. All right, my friends. Disc two has the Pearl, the Time Transformer, Above It All, Day of the Flowers, Bridges, and the Caregiver. Another stellar selection of episodes there. Yeah, the Pearl. Another another bolt forward episode. We can't hear you. Alex has gone really quiet. How about now? That's better. That's better. Yeah. I'll tell you what it was. I had a lead wrapped around my microphone. <laughs> uh, so let's carry on. Yeah, the Pearl. Great episode. Um, oh yeah, that's maybe going a little far. Good episode um, with Bob Forward and, of course, introducing or reintroducing the mister, giving her a little bit more of a, uh, an episode to herself since just sort of being in cameo appearances so far. Um, and, of course, it's a little bit like City Beneath the Sea in terms of her home, anyway. Um, Selenius. Like aquatic, is it Aquatica, James? Yeah, from sea beneath the sea. So. Yeah, um, in that the, I mean, the pearl is the source of the um, the merfolk's power, and of course, Hordak wants to steal that to to gain um, as much power as he possibly can have because you know he's a power hungry fiend. <laughs> uh, but you know, the writing in this one's pretty good, and um, uh, Mamista's we meet Mamista's father as well, King uh, Mercia. And uh, he expresses his mistrust of humans, which was never really fleshed out. It was sort of um, blink, another blink and you'll miss it moment. But um, makes... one, thing, one, thing, one thing I was never fleshed out, in my opinion, was the fact that why did all the merfolk and my mister speak French with French accents? <laughs> the subtitle of the episode. <laughs> it's true. Go, go back and watch it and they all, uh, they all speak like this. They find that. Not fond of the French accent? Oh, no, no, I love French accent. I was, I was just really puzzled as to why, uh, why, uh, why they chose that for... Uh... Well, Mr. accent's great. It's, uh, it's really, it's quite seductive, if you, if you know what I mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> I mean, for, for fans of um, animated mermaids, they might like a bit of that. <laughs> she has very nice <laughs> shells. Yeah. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> She wears a little bit more than Disney's Ariel. That's not well, Ariel. Ariel. <laughs> Ariel came a little later. She was a little raunchier. <laughs> uh, just quickly, I wanted to mention Above It All, because I recall back in the day uh, listing it as one of my favorite episodes on the old He-Man mailing list. Mm-hmm. And I remember I got this paragraph email back from James. Me? Yes, surprised that of all the episodes in Shira, I would pick Above It All as one of my favorites. <laughs> and probably had m- most likely to do with it was one of the ones I had taped uh, from childhood, so I watched I, 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 I would back you up on that, actually, John. I really like Above It All. Thank you. 
surprise a few people. <laughs> I thought it was an interesting, engaging story. Although I didn't like that um, the tree dude, the talking tree dude. I forget his <laughs> name. Tree it dude called Agros. He wasn't oh, yeah. named, so in the script they call him Agros. Oh, oh, okay. So they never actually say his name in the. No, they don't. Oh, okay. Well, then I knew I was. See, I knew more than what I thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They should have called him Mr. Tree Man or something. (laughs) (laughs) That great style of naming. Mr. Talking Tree. Please help me. (laughs) See, it could have rhymed. The whole thing would have been awesome. (laughs) Uh, Should we skip down to the caregiver since that's kind of a revelation? Right? It could have been a bit of a disappointment if you ask me. So far, I'm not really selling season two to you, am I? <laughs> no, you were. So there's uh, no caregiver is the shock, right? Wouldn't you say uh, it was shocking? It, it's, it had so much potential, and it just didn't kind of capitalize on the potential, if you ask me. Because, you know, we meet Adora's nanny, and this is another, another little facet from Adora's past. And um, it would have been great if the, you know, well, the bulk of the episode could have focused on that. But, you know, apart from she meets, or she re-meets Chakra very, very briefly, they go off on a mission. She transforms into She-Ra, and Adora doesn't come back. So, um, well, she, I think she does in the, the last two seconds of the episode. So it doesn't really give you much of a chance to, to focus on Adora's past. And there could have been some great flashback scenes and, uh, you know, seeing, seeing Adora as a little girl, maybe training to be a force captain and, and Chakra sort of supervising her, but there was none of that. It was all about Madame Raz's uh, mistrust of, of Shackle. What, what I love about the episode is how badly the rebels are written. Like they, they mistrust. Fine, we, we can understand that. But one of my favourite lines is when, um, when I think Shackle first appears and she goes, I'm looking for a little girl I once knew. Her name is Adora. And Bo goes, how do you know Adora's name? Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's about, there's about 100 other villains who know Adora's name. <laughs> <laughs> I never uh, noticed that before. Oh, it's just great. You know Adora. You know Adora. And there's there's a lot of that, and it's like, um, like um, it's, it's it's nicely done, but it's just a bit. I don't know. It was, it was another freelance writer not really knowing what he was doing. If you ask yeah. me, there was just too many freelancers in season two, and not enough staff writers. Who actually, and you know, unfortunately, one of those staff writers was Don Heckman. So, um, what can you do? <laughs> no love for Don. Oh no. Not, not from he wrote No Job Too Small. I love that. From He-Man, that was a great There was great. a couple of good ones he wrote. You know, Romeo and Glimmer, Jungle Fever are both good, but um, we luckily we've skipped the Time Transformer because I would have murdered it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is... Uh, oh. We're trying to highlight all the good episodes. The good ones. <laughs> we should mention, though, that the um, Monstroids are in Day of the Flowers. flowers. Mm. If anyone... Uh, Likes them. Uh, Christmas special. They, they come back and they're, I don't know, they're, they're a shadow of their former selves and they're being bossed around by Hordak and they, they take about 12, well, they take over 20 minutes, if you look at the, the time span of the episode, to cross a field of flowers. <laughs> it really is bad. It's like, there it's were none, a lot the of ep- flowers, man. There's a lot of flowers. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. But, it just it, the episode itself just makes no sense whatsoever. It's like here are the monstroids. Yep, I, I can appreciate that. They'd come out the ground. Okay, a bit, bit hard. Yeah, okay, I believe that then. And then it's like right, you've got to get to that mountain that's not even a mile away. Okay, and it takes them. Well, they don't make it. That's how bad it is. They get defeated by ice donuts, and the less said about that, the better. 
<laughs> Although I think I remember one of Alex's little trivia things was that in the um, in the actual script, the ice donuts were going to be multicolored. So I think the heavens above, but that did not. That it could have been worse. It could it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> they had a rough ride, the monstroids. You know, they were beaten up by the little machines. And oh, I don't even mention that. Why? 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 Bring the manchines up, damn it. <laughs> I would have bought the manchine toys. <laughs> I would have burned the manchine toys. <laughs> In the toy store, right there. <laughs> but just but, think, um, I mean, if they would have actually ran with the monstroids and the manchines, um, maybe they would have... Spin-off series. Well, or, like, just to compete with Transformers and GoBots. Yeah, I mean, Transformers would have been shaking in their shoes at the uh, Manchines animated series. <laughs> no, I, I, I like the fact I like the man, um, the monstroids. And he said, I like the Manchines. Um, I like the monstroids and what they brought. To the sh- yeah, yes, they were rip-off Transformers or whatever, but they were a threat to the Horde, as seen in the Christmas special. And they seem to have some alliance with Horde Prime, which was never really explicitly explained. But um. It was, uh, no, I kind of like it, but they just, you know, the second appearance in Day of the Flowers was laughable, and it's like, well, I don't particularly want to see them again, really. And we never did. Although the weird thing about the Monstroids, obviously, is they were named after a toy that they looked nothing like. Yeah, you've got a team of, what, five or six Monstroids that we see, yeah. and none of them look anything like the toy. Yeah, of course, when did thing. anything look like the toy? <laughs> That's true. Silly of me. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even know if there was a toy of the Monstroids. Um, yeah, the Monstroid. It was. Um, it was a horse toy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it was. It, does. it was like a. You clamp oh, the figure into their like uh, into its claws, and it spins them around. Ah. Now, a raging terror grabs hold of the universe. Monstroid. When Monstroid gets wound up, it grabs, it lurches, it spins. And thrashes because just like Hordak, it's bad. I'll stop it. Monstroid. Got it. New from the Masters of the Universe. You put it together. Action figures sold separately from Mattel. It's a grabber. Quite fun. It's actually quite, quite good, to be honest. In terms of in terms of playability, yes. Not that I play with my toys nowadays. No, they're just models, and I look at them. <laughs> Dust them off every now and then. Yeah, I don't have many left, though. <laughs> All right, disc three. When Whispering Woods last bloomed, Romeo and Glimmer, the pearls of... Pearls. The perils of Peekaboo, just the way you are, the locket, and She-Ra makes a promise. I assume we want to hit it off with When Whispering Woods last bloomed. Yeah, let's. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, lots of... There's lots of average episodes of season two, and I think when Whispering Woods Last Bloom would fall into that bracket, but um, it's obviously made better by the fact that Natasha and Spinnerella are in the kind of main roles. Because, um, well, firstly, we haven't seen them before, and secondly, we don't see them much again. In fact, we don't see Spinnerella at all. So um, it's a similar premise to Hantara, what with um, Hordak lying to, to this sort of new stranger on the block. Um, but it's sort of a poor man's Huntara, shall we say. <laughs> very, very poor man's Huntara. <laughs> but, but it's nice. I think um, the writer, Frank Becker, did a, a pretty decent job when you compare it to, to a lot of the other episodes from season two. And, of course, it was Diane Pershing's debut as um, a voice artist, um, unless she was actually Chakra. 
the previous episode, which I don't think. No, I think that was. I think Melody Britt was Chakra. Okay. Okay. Might be wrong, but I'm just. Someone go and check. Not not right now. Not right now. But uh, yeah, so I mean, good to see um, Natasha and Spinnerella. Natasha's particularly feisty as well, when she's locked in that jail cell. The number oh, yeah. of buttons she comes up with, you walking vacuum cleaners, the hordes, and um, you know various other um, colourful insults. She throws out. Just, um, you know, it is fantastic. She just it'll be an X-rated show with some of the words she's spouting. Uh, <laughs> Um, and Spinnerella is just unbelievably dense and gullible as well. Um, and of course, um, by the end of it, the Whispering Woods is completely lopsided. So fortunately, she blows it back and, and everything's fine by the end. But um, it's strange that the story is told in flashback as well, because the, it opens with them sitting around a, a bonfire talking about the fact that it's the first anniversary of their joining the rebellion. Um, Whereas, you know, it's the first appearance of them, so it's, it's very odd. It's very odd. We should mention, too, uh, you mentioned uh, Diane. She's more known as doing Poison Ivy on Batman, Batman. Animated Series. Mm-hmm. So, if you recognize the voice. <laughs> Actress, that is. Uh, do we want to say anything about Romeo and Glimmer? Uh, one of the best comedy scenes in the series with uh, yeah. him as a pair of scissors and... Uh, and trapped his hair, fighting one another, <laughs> courtesy of uh, Tom Tarano, it's that last one. Yes, it's just visually, it's a beautiful episode to watch. Um, although there's the, Alex and I, well, Alex knows about this, Alex knows about everything about Shira, but um, with, with regards to um, the non-appearance of Flutterina. Yeah. Um, in that you hear her voice a few times in the episode, but it comes from the mouths of, I think it's usually Queen Angela. And I think in the script, Alex will correct me on this, or back me up, Um, I think Flutterina is written into the script. She is. She's in various scenes at Bright Moon. um, And And she's on the back. Yeah, that's right. And they recorded her voice as well. But when it came to animate, they decided no Flutterina and let's just put... There's even one scene, I remember when um, Angela Angela turns to a door or bow and says that can only mean one thing in, um, in Flutterina's voice and then delivers the rest of the sentence in Angela's. It's quite a confusing moment when you're watching it. So be on the lookout for that. But uh, other than that, no, it's a good episode, great visuals. Uh, uh, nice to see Entraptor. Nice what, sorry? Nice to see Entraptor again. Yeah, no, Entraptor's, Entraptor's pretty darn good in the episode. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I, I wouldn't say it's a, uh, a fabulous episode, but uh, it's good enough for season two. Yeah, it's more, more entertaining than a lot. And The Perils yeah. of Peace, the following one, is, is a great episode. Yeah, I, I really, really didn't know what to think of that episode when I first saw it. And then Alex was like, you've got to watch it, you've got to watch it, because you know, you've got to appreciate Pika Blue in it. I was like, nah. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh, yeah, he's right. <laughs> it, was, um, no, it, is, it is a Pika Blue shining episode, and there's a lot of uh, good uh, drama in it, I think, which is kind of rare for these, these shows. But there's a, there's a good amount of tension in it. There's a lot of... Uh, Sad little moments of Pika Blue. Uh, has she got tears in her eyes? I think. Or? Her eyes out, Pika Blue. In this one, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 quite a heart-rendering um, episode. Definitely, yeah, she's no, fantastic. No, no, no. Way of uh, my friend, my enemy, of course, because you know, yeah, that's Shira crying is uh, in a league of its own. But um, no, Pika Blue. I think they characterise Pika Blue really well because at the end of the day, she's this. She was made as an action figure with no physical power. You know, Flutterina can fly, Mimista can at least swim, and 
um, obviously Sweet Bee can fly and stuff, but out of the other, the season two uh, new heroines, physically she doesn't do anything because um, her power is um, is being being a psychic or sort of you know, telepathy. Um, so to make her this kind of recluse and make her too afraid to join the rebellion, uh, as I think a really clever sort of writing decision by Bob Fortwood or whoever it was. Oh, no, that, no. Yeah, no, agreed. The opening scene, which is good, you see her powers like use their full potential as well. When um, she's showing a uh, door, you see a little cameo of Prince Adam Orko and uh, Cringer on Eternia, uh, like creating havoc and um, and like Peekaboo is basically watching Eternia, um, which means could she watch Prince Adam transform into He Man? But there's a fanfic right there in itself. But um, <laughs> now there's, there's, there's a lot of good stuff about Powers uh, Peekaboo. There's, there's a, I think in the same scene um, after they've captured Peekaboo. It's an amusing little set, and she throws a sword down in frustration and says something like, that's the last time I leave uh, the Whispering Woods without spirit or swift wind, something like that. Yeah. Um, because obviously she can't fly after the whole troopers because they're all taken to the air. But uh, that's, it's, it's, good. it's an overall one of, the, one of the best episodes of season two. I really wish that they would have been able to obtain Bob Forward to do something on the DVDs, interview... Yeah, I know. So, I mean, I, I spoke to him in 1997, I think it was 97, 98, which is like nearly 10 years ago. And I was talking to him about Sweet Bee's Home, which I thought, oh, he's never going to forget that. And he, he really, you know, uh, I think he's written so much in between or, or worked on so many other things. But then that begs the question, how come Larry Tilio remembers everything and he's written way more in between? Exactly. You know, well, I think, too, I think, I think so, if he would just watch the episode again. Yeah. So, I mean, then it probably all comes back to you. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember yeah. writing that. Yeah, as far as I know, BC, I did try to um, acquire his uh, knowledge, but I don't know, maybe for one reason or another, he'd want to be a part of it. Which is a shame, because I think he was one of the best writers of He-Man and She-Ra. Well, he pretty much is He-Man and she in terms of the best scripts. So there you go. Well, I think we need to mention that, at least I think for most fans... Uh, myself included. This is the first time we're going to watch the locket in watchable quality. <laughs> I was just going to say that. <laughs> I don't think anyone's. I mean, I saw it in German. Mm-hmm. Not being a speaker, that wasn't uh, you know too brilliant. But yeah, visually, it's uh, my English copy is just really, really faded. And, you know, full of grains and everything. So to see it in English and in, in lovely DVD quality, plus with the moral as well, which I don't know if anyone's ever seen. No, um, that's right. Very good point there. I think we need to mention she makes a promise. Yeah. Because I specifically told Martin to watch that one. <laughs> and the ones we've and been I talking did. and the ones we've been talking about I didn't tell him to watch. <laughs> he asked for a list of which ones he should watch first. And I guess I just wasn't very good at making the list. <laughs> so what Martin, what did you think about Shira Makes a Promise? Hang on, I'm reading the synopsis in the booklet as I've forgotten what happened. <laughs> <laughs> That's how good it was. It was. <laughs> no, I thought it was quite a good episode. I liked um Octavia. With a bizarre voice. And she's like, we're back, I've captured... <laughs> I can't hear it. I think we're going to have a show where Martin does all the impersonations. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's up with the whole star? Like, the yeah, star is, like, blinking, and they're like, ooh. I, I thought that was so... I just, that was pushing it too far, I thought. Oh, yeah. Oh. Honestly, did, did these people actually read the series Bible? Because it's just... 
you know, again, another freelancer, but it's just weird. The star is just weird. <laughs> it's just a, it's, a, it's a lazy way of trying to get... It's almost like they wrote the episode. All oh, right, she's made a promise she can't escape. And then it's like, oh, what do we do now? And then, oh, I know, she'll look in the sky, and that way she'll contact He-Man. It's like, hmm. well, couldn't she use the sword to contact the sorceress? That's a more feasible option. You know, say, can you have He-Man sent here? I'm, I'm, I've been captured. But then this is one of the things about the series in general, isn't it? It's, and, and many series of shows is, is continuity. It's like if you put a character in a situation which they can clearly get out of in so many ways via the aid of something else, you know, like, oh, I don't know, let's not go into that. But, um, yeah, the star, in short, is uh, either a very lazy storytelling or someone not just not doing their homework. And inadvertently, She-Ra actually breaks her promise. I mean, we know that Hordak's going to break his. We know that from I think the get. Didn't she say she goes? He broke his. Now I can break mine. Something like that. And then so yeah, that, she says that. Promise. No, she he's, says um, he's broken his promise, but he's evil. And then she's like, "No, I still can't break my promise." But then she does. Uh, <laughs> you I know, mixed four kids. <laughs> Although then you could, one of the best things about the episode is. Um, Hordak's super armor suit, which came out of nowhere, really. Ah, I did like that. That was, that was pretty unexpected and cool when he, uh, he chases after the rebels. But it's really pointless. No, he chases after Shira in this big robo-powered suit, fires two missiles, Shira deflects him with sword to shield, and then Hordak flies off and you never see him again. It's like, that's <laughs> okay. That's obviously done you a lot of work, you know. Well, the suit was really tiring. <clears throat> Excuse me. The suit was really tiring for him because it was quite heavy. So after he did the whole missile thing, he was like, ah, oh, I just need to go lay down. He was spent. It's yes, like, yeah. Exactly. He was go like, back to, uh, be- oh, yeah, because I think, doesn't it crash land on Beast Island? Am I right? Oh, I can't remember. It crash lands on a, a little, tiny little island in the middle of the ocean. Oh, he managed to. Yeah. I mean, you know, it after just- battling Shira for like 80 some episodes, he's just like, hey, she's going to win anyway. She's going to go take yeah. a nap. <laughs> Give up soon. <laughs> there's one. There's one thing that always makes me laugh in the episode is when um, Hordak says something like "trespass is absolutely for- forbidden" and captures the rebels. You see, um, you see them all in this net, and they're all like, "Oh, let us out!" And they're all really angry, including Bo's horse Arrow, has got like an angry look on his face. <laughs> it's quite funny to make a horse look angry, but uh, they, they seem to do their job for motion. Again with Arrow. Yet another reason why Filmation should have designed the toys. I thought the arrow of the cartoon was just way better than the blue. Well, that's, that's the whole. Yeah, I mean, she, the Shira toy line though was was intended like for it was it was a very passively line, so it was, it was intended for for girls, wasn't it? True, Whereas but the horses the, are brown usually. I mean. It's a normal colour for a horse. No, I, I agree with you there. I think that was just a toy to fit. To fit. When it comes to series, I think they're like, let's give Bo a little bit of a manly horse, you know, even though he's wearing, he's wearing a heart-chested thing, you know. I don't know. Hey, at least they didn't make it start, like, beating every time Shiro would come by. <laughs> like, I was interested in that. Thing. All right, moving like on Bo. to uh, disc four, we have Bo's Magical Gift, Sweet Bee's Home, Glimmer Come Home, The Inspector, and Portrait of Doom. <laughs> that was brilliant. <laughs> Very scary. Unlike the episode. Unlike the incredible, episode, yeah. <laughs> incredibly mediocre. Um, where should we start? I mean, we can, we can bypass Bo's magical gift, apart from the little appearance from the Star Sisters. Um, it's oh, not yeah. really... 
I cast a spell that comes back and, and you know says a sentence and then and then off she trots for all eternity, never to be seen again. Well, and, for, and for those who don't know, the Star Sisters are three prototype toys that were never released. I think my problem with the actual episode Bo's Magical Glyph, I, re- I really like it. My, my, my problem with it is that they try and make Bo like, act irresponsibly and he shouldn't be doing this and shouldn't be doing that. But he comes across in the episode as so likeable. Oh, you just you side with Bo a lot of the time in this episode. So you can't really see what he's doing wrong kind of thing. They try and back it up with, oh, he's not using his bow. And it's like, well, that's probably because in Return of the General, she returns a sword into a bow and kind of puts him out of a job. <laughs> so, you know, what, what do you expect? Um, but yeah, I really like the episode Bo's Magical Gift. One thing One I noticed in... Um... Oh, sorry, James. <laughs> no, go, go for it, go, go. And um, in uh, Bo's Magical Gift, um, the like, Horde Prime's voice yeah. changes... So instead of that big threatening voice he had in the first series, he's now got like a generic sort of Rattlaw type. Yeah, it, it came back in season two for some reason. It happened in a Day of the Flowers and all his other appearances. He's got this really. It's, it's very strange and un, unexplained. He just a voice change for some reason. If you listen closely to Hordak and Shadow Weaver, they sound slightly different in season two as well. I don't know if that was. You know, something something up with the equipment, or you know, they didn't do the levels properly, or maybe the voice actors just you know took a break and forgotten how to do them. But yeah, Hordak, Shadow Weaver, and Horde Prime all sound. I mean, Horde Prime more noticeably, but um, the other one, two one of the best ones was um, yeah, I can't remember what episode it was. Alex probably able to tell me, but it's when um, Shadow Weaver says something like to Hordak, "You really should stop smoking." Oh, she, <laughs> but, because Linda Gary does obviously does um, Madame Raz's voice as well as Shadow Weaver's. Shadow Weaver's got like a Brooklyn accent, like Madame Raz. <laughs> she only has it for this one line. You should like, be able to smoking. That's right. It's, it's, it's like, oh, she's like, and it's like, oh my god, oh my god. She's, her voice has suddenly changed inexplicably, but um, it's only for that one line. But uh, it's a nice uh, glimpse into the voice actor's mind. Well, sweet beast home. <laughs> I think there's pretty much everything I've said about that. So let's just applaud, shall we? I I want to mention um, in the uh, special features uh, documentary uh, I found to be hilarious. I think it was Robert Lamb was talking about it. Um, The dailies for uh, Sweepy's Home that they had rigged it so the scene where He-Man is on top of Frosta and he's kind of struggling where it just kept going and going and going. (laughs) Yeah. That was a uh, because actually that, that is uh, should I give that a shout out? I don't know. I was going to say that 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 was the, the thing we filmed for the UK Rob Lamb interview for the DVD. That's what I figured. Just, yeah, yeah, which has just been released amazingly after like a, uh-huh. a good couple of years, independently of the box set. So yeah, it's um yeah no the whole the whole Sweet Bee's Home thing is is like a that, the episode is in a, not in an offensive way. It's kind of one big joke because it was a. Uh, for those that don't know, it was like uh, Tom Tatarinowitz and um, uh, Bob Ford just wrote the episode based on the fact that Frosta was kind of a hot-looking female, so they just did this whole thing of let's bring He-Man in, and then let's just go crazy with the animation and put like uh, they they put they put so much into that episode, which is why it's one of the best-looking of the series. Um, yeah, and it's uh, uh, and even the story itself is is pretty damn good, but I think it's it's an episode that's more fondly remembered because of uh, the various antics of uh, 
Foster and Hino. As a sidebar, you said the um, are the UK DVDs with the the special features. You can buy them now without the box set. Yeah, because what happened was um, volumes seven, eight, and nine. Mm-hmm. They finally contender finally um, released them last year, but as part was it last year? Last year, but as part of the box set. Yes. So, in other words, fans that fans had bought one to six had to buy one to six, which is preposterous. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some, I don't know why or what decision was made. But contender, I think, in the last couple of weeks of released 7, 8, and 9 independently of um, the box set. Mm-hmm. But my only advice is buy, if, if there's one volume buy, buy 7 because it's the one that they, well, we put the most effort into because I, I did an animatic for House of Shikoti Part 2 and uh, the Robert Lamb interview which is like 40 minutes long and I think, I think pretty spiffy to be honest. <laughs> but uh, well, you buy them then. Oh, oh, sorry, I should mention you buy them like all together like 7, 8, and 9. Oh, you can. Yeah, can you in not- like a small box set. Oh, but so you can't oh, just buy seven. Um, I don't think so. Oh, there we but go. It's, um, I didn't know this. <laughs> it's a uh, very cheap for three volumes of DVDs. I shall have to order it because I still have to order the uh, Secret of the Swords. I think was that oh, you- Yeah. Um, it was released a while ago, right? I think yeah, so, yeah. yeah, I think a month. The one disc one, you mean not the best of the yeah, UK correct, best of? Correct. I still have to order that. Oops. Okay, you just Oops. want new artwork, don't you? Well, yeah, because I have to own everything. <laughs> <laughs> it is brilliant. Uh, it's done a great job on that. Um, do we want to say anything about run. Glimmer Come Home? Not especially. That's the one when um, Hordak should stop smoking. Oh, that's the line. Right. Well, uh, smoking is very bad for your health. It is. That should have been the moral, shouldn't it? (laughs) Did they do a smoking moral in any of the... I don't think so. They did a couple of drugs ones, didn't they? Um, In the New Adventures, they had, you have the power to say no to drugs, which was often about smoking um, um, nicotine. Um, Yeah, that was... uh, was it? But yeah, yeah, they covered just... everything in the new adventures, I think. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty much. Everything you could possibly do wrong. <laughs> I can't remember one when Lucky just suddenly lit up a spliff. <laughs> <laughs> that has been very interesting. <laughs> I remember in, um, I remember in um, Brave Star... Oh, I'm, I'm echoing I'm again. In Brave Star, they did um, a, the smoking one because obviously it's scars smokes a cigar and they did in one of the morals he tells up and says I smoke but you shouldn't it's like oh okay literally like that and it's oh, fair enough <laughs> you have been told uh, yes right. anyway uh, the inspector is oh. especially good because you find out that when Adam grows facial hair it's a different <laughs> color than his head and <laughs> Adora looks really good in a red cloak. <laughs> the other thing the episode's good for, and I'll, I'll, I think Alex will do it, the, the combinations, Alex? Yeah, the, um, it's the only one that you get, the four different combinations of Adam and Adora, He-Man and She-Ra, He-Man and Adora, and She-Ra and Adam. God, that took a bit of thinking, actually. <laughs> Should I get it out clearly and concisely? Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's the only one. I mean, it's it's really just another excuse for a crossover, to be honest, because um, we know that Adora can 
can rescue her friends and get her sword back on her own because she's done it in the Stone of the Sword. Um, and she did it in style. But um, <laughs> it's, it's an all right, you know, 20 minutes. Um, bringing back Inspector Darkney as well. The, um, I have a few little problems with the Inspector. It, it doesn't really... It, it feels a bit slow. I mean, it's great that you've got He-Man there and, and you've got Natos having a little, little cameo and stuff. But um, I know, it's it, slow. It's, it feels like it takes a long time to get going, and then when it finally does, you know, it's like 22 minutes down the line, and that's it. Roll credits. So um, I, I found it a little bit disappointing. It was actually the last She-Ra episode I ever saw. Um, the, the Pearl was the 92nd, and then the Inspector. Um, and yeah, I just found it a bit of an anticlimax, to be honest. And the end is uh, the, the best part of it is probably the joke at the end when when Spicer uncovers Inspector Darkney, um, mistaking him for one of the rebels, and he pulls the cloth off, saying, I've found another one of those rebels. Um, and, of course, it's not a rebel, it's Inspector Darkney, and he's got him frozen in, in ice. So, naturally, Hordak's going to be in a lot of trouble with all time for that, because he's said once before in King Miro's journey that uh, if there's anything he li- uh, likes less than a rebel, it's a Horde Inspector. <laughs> It's, it's I feel wrong. really sorry for Hordak in this episode. He has a hard time. He does. <laughs> it's not one of his better ones. It's not. Um, there's, there's another nice moment when it's very brief, but when Hordak's talking about the stronghold that he's got over Etheria, uh, and you see Adora clenching her fists as if to say, you know, I'm just about to, to punch your lights out, mate, if you say anything else, kind of. Thing. <laughs> um, so I thought Adam nice gives her a nudge. Yeah, that's, that's quite a nice little moment, but it's it's all too brief. <laughs> that's one of the, I have an animation cell of them walking into the Fright Zone with a door in the cloak and the doors behind them. That's one of my favorite uh, favorite cells that I own. That's a nice dramatic scene, actually, when the doors, when the doors open. So it's quite sort of, it's quite big and towering. Mm-hmm. So when they come in, it's, uh, it's quite a good moment. Do we want to mention anything about Portrait of Doom? Had the potential, but it was wasted. Wasted potential. She had very good art skills, though. Fratina, I know. You know, one <laughs> swish, and there was a, a whole full-body portrait. Amazing. Think of the money you the could make with that kind of talent. <laughs> the weird thing about the episode was the, um, the fact that you see this, you know, evil old woman that we've seen many times before, and you think... Shadow Weaver's in disguise. Goes behind a bush, and it's Catra in disguise. <laughs> it's, it, it's weird because usually it's Shadow Weaver who's the disguising one. Catra never really puts on a whole outfit dressing up as an old woman, especially an outfit that completely doesn't. You know, it's clearly not Catra under there. But when Catra goes behind a bush and psh, and there's Catra, you think, oh, okay. But uh, I think Shadow Weaver would have been a better um, character to put in that scene, but they they chose Catra. Yeah, yeah seeing as that itself is. No. Seeing as they are uh, Shadow Weaver's magic paints, she does precious little in the episode. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it, yeah. It's, it was actually going to be a lot longer originally. They, um, it's full of stock animation. I mean, season two is absolutely riddled with stock animation from season one. Um, Portrait of Doom has loads. It's got this entire scene which is lifted from Return of the General, which actually starts season two. Um, the funny thing about that is they, it's not... It's, Exactly the same dialogue, exactly the same this that, but it's um they reanimate it. In other words, it's not it's not like they've just uh, duplicated the negative like they do with um, the transformation sequences. And you think 
they could have just done that, you know. <laughs> you know, information about saving money and all this. And okay, you're going to reuse the scene, but why not just completely reuse the scene? Then it's it's not like they're doing anything different there. But um, yeah, does it it reuses animation from other episodes as well? Does that? Yeah, well, it's got that little bit from um, Beast Island, which is used in The Wizard as well, when they're casting the spell to find out where the rebels have, have gone. Oh yeah. Um, but also in the in the script, there's an entire scene at the start. You know, the start of the episode is Hordak um, chastising Katra for another one of her failures. Yeah. In the script, there's an entire scene. I mean, it's it's slightly different because Bo and and Natasha are there um, at Twiggit Village, which is Bo's farewell, um, and it's Shira against Katra. Um, you know, the tree gets frozen and Katra falls down the well, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so you know, that's a, a, another one that, that sort of. Um, when when Shira cuts the sorry, it's been a long time since I've seen this one. When Shira cuts the um, Hordax cruiser, yeah, that's that's also from Return of the General. But of course, inside it's it's Catra and Entraptor as opposed to Hordak and Mantena. So um, I don't know. It's like you know piecing piecing these bits from other episodes into is a it, new episode, and, and there you've got Portrait of Doom. Is it one of the funniest things about Portrait of Doom? Is the uh, Surprise appearance by a certain character at the end. There's loads of random appearances. You, you've got Natasha and you've got Sprint. But yeah, go on, James. Um, is it um, Frit? Is it is he in it? Yeah, right at the very end, yeah. Right. In, in, and you just see him like, cheering, going, yay, and it's like, Frit? <laughs> you had a whole episode before. Why are you suddenly, suddenly appearing like this? And apparently Spunky from Bo's, Bo's Farewell is also there. Oh, right, Spunky. Yeah, again, I'm playing up with it. something I've got in my notes. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen this one. But yeah, Frit especially is the weirdest one because, you know, as far as we know, he just stayed with his, his glass bottle sculpture. <laughs> uh, there he is, one day just uh, clapping his hands. Yeah, it's, it's a bizarre appearance. But uh, yeah, the episode itself is, yeah, I think, more interesting because of the weird things that happen in it than, uh, wow, what a story that was. Well, it's got a nice little end scene with a bow hugging Spratane and you're like, oh. It's nice for to get a whole episode to herself yeah, after I'll... starting, you know, very beginning and then sort of 90 episodes later she's got a starring role. So it's good for that. Also, I'm glad that Linda Dick Gary didn't give her that stupid voice she gave her in um, Three Courageous Hearts. In Three Courageous Hearts she speaks this really like woo accent kind of thing and then um, in Portrait of Doom, thankfully, they give her a, a, a more... Um, a voice that's more pleasing to the ear. I'll do that one. That's Eric Weimer, isn't it? Um, okay, next episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, <clears throat> disc five, the end of She-Ra. We have Hordax Power Play, Shades of Orko, Assault on the Hive, uh, the Bibet story. Am I saying that right? Bibet. Bibet. Bibet story. Sorry. Swifty's Bibet. Baby. Hordax Power Play is the worst episode ever made. <laughs> but Brooks has that cool uh, mustache. And uh, we remember, was that me and we you? Met her, well, we met her. We met him in the elevator. Yeah, at San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> I, t- I turned to a little, little uh, comic um, story. But you thought he was someone else. I thought he was someone else. I turned to him and I said, are you Chris Webber? <laughs> because Chris Webber obviously wrote Monster um, um, Count on. Yeah. And uh, I think the toy maker as well. So I turned to him. I said, "Are you Chris Webber?" And he goes, "I know Chris Webber." And I was like, "Oh!" And he was like, "I'm Brooks Wachtel." I was like, 
oh! And then suddenly Hordak's power play comes to mind. I thought, I just thought to myself, don't kill him, don't kill him, don't kill him. <laughs> and so I politely shook his hand and, and um, we took a photo. And then right at the very end, oh, no, no, we didn't take a photo. He, he, he turns to uh, me and Johnny says, um, my friend here, Francis, also um, wrote for She-Ra. And we're like, huh, Francis Moss? Yeah. And uh, he obviously wrote a lot of good She-Ra episodes. And um, yes, yeah, so we had, had our little photo taken with him. <laughs> A little uh, geeky moment, but um, yeah, no, Hordak's power play is a pretty, pretty bad episode. Um, it's, it's got a nice idea behind it, is that Alien comes from outer space and there's a power cell in his ship, which is incredibly powerful, that can, I think, Hordak wants to use it to put a, a force field around the fright zone. You think, oh, good premise for an episode, but it is so poorly written, is the best way I can put it. Is that fair? Yeah, I'd say so. The dialogue There's is just... The best scene, um, it's, it's an amazing scene, is at the end of Act 1, <laughs> there's this whole dramatic scene. It's like, not only has he taken it, um, the power cell, the, the Horde go off with the power cell, and you're like, <gasps> and Bo and She-Ra, and um, this, this alien, um, what's his name? Is it Arg? No. Larg. 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 His name's Larg. And... Um, and Larg's going, he's taken the power cell, and it's going to blow up. Oh, no, he's got this thing, and he says it's going to blow up. And and when it blows up, in like literally, I don't know, an hour or so, it's going to take half the planet with it. Or, you know, it will explode, it will destroy Ethereum. And you're like, oh, my God, this is quite possibly the greatest threat because Hordak's doomed himself and the planet. And then Act 2 opens up, and you've got She-Ra, Bo, and Larg resting by uh, an apple car, eating apples, <laughs> about space food and you're like excuse me Act 1 just ended with the most dramatic thing I've ever seen in Sheila your whole world's friend and you're sitting there eating and eating and laughing about alien food uh, it's, uh, but for that I think it's, it's an amazing scene <laughs> on the plus side yeah it's, that's a really good scene I know that remember that weird scene as well with um, Lou Scheimer his voice in this uh, these two guys who are, I think originally the ones Right, they're riding this car, a horse-drawn car, and they're having this talk, and it's the most natural human talk you've ever heard on Ethereum. It's like a, a matter of the dance last Saturday night. I'm gonna, you know, she was sweet, yes sir, yes sir, rebob. And you're like, what's that doing in there? Just it's 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 a great episode for its randomness, I think. Saturday night on Ethereum. Yeah, literally. I met her at the dance last Saturday night. That's the episode I want to see. Not this thing about the alien eating apples, you know. What but, um, happened after the dance, eh? Yeah, exactly. He got he got a number anyway, but um, well, a name. That's all she gave him as she as she went off. But um, but yeah, so uh, the episode is just, and then it ends really. What about that weird music as well? There's this weird um. Music that's like yeah, Jaws. It's like ding, 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 and it's never been used before, or, or you know, I was gonna say since, but it's never appeared in the She or He Man episodes before. It's so jarring and noticeable. You're like, hmm, that's different, and it it does not work with She at all. But they include it in two scenes, and um, I just it's just a weird episode. Well, shall we um make people want to buy the set again by talking about <laughs> assault on the hive? See, yes. Oh, no, wait. Shades of Orco. Oh, sorry. Shades of Orco. Oh, no. Um, Alex, go for it. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say good things about Shades of Orco. That's what so I, I was just... thinking. That's why I was skipping to Assault <laughs> on the Hive. But no, I can, I can point out something that people might want to buy. Well, 
for Shades of Orco, in that Shades of Orco is a crossover without He-Man. So you've got Man at Arms and Orco. She's like, oh, that's different. But there's an amazing scene at the end where they reuse, reuse in a good way, not exactly creative, but it's, it's, it's kind of a nice homage, I'm sure it was. That's what J. Larry Carroll intended with his uh, writing of this scene. Um, there's, an ep- there's an episode of He-Man called Three on a Dare, and um, there's this big action scene where He-Man's fighting Beastman, Merman, Trapdoor, and Triclops, and he fights them. He spills oil on the ground, and they slip around. Then three of them run at him, he throws them up, and they land on his shoulders, and they're doing this big like cheerleader, you know, standing on each other's shoulders, and it's comical, and he throws them to the ground. Meanwhile, uh, Evil in freezes Teela, and it's, oh, it's all kicking off. Great episode. In this episode, <laughs> we have She-Ra against um, Rattler, Dylamug, uh, Mantena, um, Grizzlaw, is that right? Yeah, and, and Leech. Yeah. And Leech. And um, they, Mantena uses his eye beams to freeze uh, Bo where he stands. Now, Mantena uses words like, get her, you dullards. And you're like, Mantena shouldn't be using words like dullards. That makes him sound <laughs> kind of authoritarian and a lot like Skeletor. That's because it's the same dialogue Skeletor uses in Three on a Dare. And, um, and this scene proceeds with, uh, you know, um, it proceeds to have, like, the four villains run at she She throws them on top of her shoulders. They do this thing. They fall over. And it's, it's just a complete... Uh, it's the exact same scene, but just with She-Ra animation. Um, and it's interesting for that, though. I think people should buy it just for that one scene, if not for the next episode. Which is That's Assault on the Hive. A much better a uh, episode. And sweeping the return. The last ever appearance of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. I'm sorry. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Welling up. It's, it's, it's a good little send-off, I think, because it's not an amazing episode. It's kind of like, oh, that was kind of nice. You know, you get you get um, a scene with He-Man and Cringer, and one of the rare, one of the few times where he, well, actually, one of the, I think the only time He-Man turns to Cringer and doesn't actually transform him into Battle Cat. Cringer says, "Aren't you going to do me?" Which has got all sorts of innuendos, but um, <laughs> it ends with uh, He-Man just going off to Etheria, helping out Sweetly and She-Ra. Meeting, meeting the what were those things called? The meteors on the way. Yep. Comet cat and dinosaur. Wow. And um, crystal Sundancer, Sundance, yeah. isn't it? It's an amazing episode. It's the trap jaws in it. Beastman's in it. And Skeletor's in it. Trap jaw with a new voice, of course. Um, so you just you went from expect. it's an okay episode to it's a great episode. I, I make those jumps. That's the kind of person I am. Yeah. Like, do you know what? Hordax Powerplay, best ever episode. <laughs> but, um, one of the things, just, uh, Alex has kind of all these great chapters for, um, for um, the She-Ra episode. Oh, I'm echoing. So um, um, for Assault on Hive, I gave the chapters, uh, the chapter titles, are named after Rolling Stones songs. <laughs> Don't ask me why. It just had to be done. <laughs> Rock on. Literally. Well, one of the episodes was, one of the songs obviously, Gimme Shelter, and I thought, well, Sweetie's looking for a home. That's kind of appropriate. I think the last chapter I called uh, The Last Time, which is and obviously a Rolling Stones song, and I thought, it's the last time He-Man's in a cartoon, so put that there. There was another one somewhere as well, but... Um, oh, hang on. No, I have the DVD in now, so I was just checking on them. <laughs> All right. 
Alex, you want to wax lyrical about it all night? I'm just going to say that, yes, really, really fun episodes, good adventure episode. Um, you've got lots of, lots of little toy, um, toy characters planted in there, naturally. It's like they, they knew the series was going to be cancelled, so let's get as many <laughs> as we possibly can. You've got Natossa at the start, nice little scene with Catra. Um, I really Natasha as a character is a great character because she's she's not a magic character. She's you know she's based on her skills like Bo. You know Bo with Zara has got her nets. Um, so she's more of a warrior. So you know to see her in action is great because she'll actually use her skills. She won't run away from a fight or just rely on some magic. You know magical blast. She'll actually chuck a net at someone and um, you know has got a pretty good eye. So she captures Captain with her net. Um, then you've got Crystal Sundancer, who has a really dramatic entrance, running in in yeah, some kind of yeah. fireball. Um, <laughs> it's great, and then of course you get the, the stock animation of Shira on Swiftwind, but of course she's on Crystal Sundancer. But it's nice to know that she's on. You know, she's doing something slightly different. Um, and of course, I mean, there's no attraction between He-Man and Sweet Bee, which is a bit of a, a disappointment. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, Sweet Bee is pretty feisty in it. She um, she comes along for the for the ride as well, and um, has her great little ship, which is um, about three times the size of, um, of Swiftwind. And yes, yeah, it's, it's a really fun episode. It's all nice. Actually, but what you pointed out there is a good, is a good thing is that in this episode, I think it's actually the best she- um, Sweet Bee episode because the one before she hardly had a she was hardly featured in it. Do you know what I mean? She was almost like a subplot. Because the, the He-Man Frosty thing was so powerful in that Sweet Bee's Home episode. Mm. Sweet Bee becomes like a background character and she doesn't get to develop and she doesn't have any good, really good lines or anything. Whereas in this episode, because there's no, you know, subplot of attraction or this, that and the other, there's a lot of Sweet Bee in it and she's, you know, like, like Alex says, a very feisty character, very strong. Um, yeah, oh, I like the scene when she's escaping um, Skeletor and these evil warriors and she like, she's running away from Skeletor who, for some reason, has got this magic disc, as you do, and he flies around on it. But, um, no, she's, she's really, really well characterized in this episode. Now, do you think, though, if uh, Tom T. had directed it, they would have thrown in well, no, some type it, of reference of the attraction? Because that's the only thing I don't like about the episode. It just seems to completely ignore that. I, well, because the funny thing is it's, it's written by Bob Board. Yeah. And um, he obviously wrote Sweet Bee's Home, and I, I, in that, this one interview, I, I asked him this time, I said, like, something like, what happened, why was He-Man not interested in Sweet Bee? And obviously, you know, trying to remember that far back had proved a problem, but he just said, oh, probably just something to do with continuity, he said, which was, you know, I, th- I think they ever just forgot, they just couldn't be bothered to continue with that. Mm-hmm. Or it's probably the last days of Sheeran, and it was like, come on, lads, let's go for a McDonald's. <laughs> Okay, There's a great when um, when Sweet Bee captures Trapjaw. Oh, yeah. um, Beastman's already been captured and, and Skeletor's escapes. And, uh, and she comes along and she said, um, look what I found. It's a can opener with a bad temper. And you've got Trapjaw going, and of course everyone laughs and it's all very funny. And, uh, that's, that's probably one of the best Trapjaw insults and it's delivered by you know one of the characters you never would have expected to be seen in a, in a scene with him. You know? I think that's what was... I kind of like that about Sue on the Hive, is that it could have just been a He-Man crossover with something called the other, but the fact that you've got Skeletor and the, the classic combination, the classic Bob Ford duo of um, Beastman and Trapjaw, um, it kind of, it, it's, it's kind of a nice way for the He-Man series to say, you know, farewell kind of thing, and uh, 
and uh, fade off into the you know, into the distance kind of thing. Well, speaking of farewells, let's skip down yeah. to the end of Shira, which is Swifty's baby. So not only did General Sunder have some fun, so did Swiftwind. <laughs> He's a dark horse, that one. <laughs> hey! <laughs> but here's oh, what no. I have. Can I just say what I have a problem with Go. real quick? Okay. It's Swifty's baby. <laughs> Swiftwind, to me, isn't the real character. Just like She-Ra is not real, Adora is real. But Swifty has the baby, not spirit. In a weird way, I've never thought about that, but you're quite right. I've never thought about that, but you have got a point. That's that's what I have issues with. Just like if... <laughs> She-Ra he- has a child. Yeah, if She-Ra had a child or He-Man did start to date Frosta or Sweepy or Tila, He-Man's not real. Adam is real. Yeah. So that's why I... Just like Adora dating Seahawk is fine. There so it was an yeah, accident. Yeah. We're saying it was an accident then, and, and Swift wins just standing by his jeep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Stuff like that. It was one of those Saturday nights. Yeah, I even yeah. met at the door. <laughs> <laughs> he did. Oh, that's right. Um, but no, uh, finally, we've got confirmation that Swiftwind is actually a male, because throughout the series, <laughs> and, and you don't get this in the episodes, but in the scripts, Swiftwind is a female for about 75% of the episodes. That's right, that's uh, right. It's one of them that I think it's the price of power when the writer just doesn't know whether to use he or she or him or her. Um, and he actually makes a little, a little reference to it in the passage. You know, is Swiftwind a, a girl or a boy? What, you know, the, the writers had absolutely no idea, <laughs> uh, apparently, until 93 episodes down the line. So at last we know... And it took this for us to find out. Well, he would have had such, or it would have had a very, very deep voice uh, to be a female. Well, look the at the thing, the, the weird thing well, about, but um, she still sounds fem- female to me, though. Whereas Swiftwind does not sound female at all. This is I true. think, but I think in terms of the script writers, I think literally it was kind of they were in the dark a lot of time. A lot of the storyboards have got also indicate Swiftwind as a female. And you think, well, you know, like 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 John says, the voice is definitely a male voice, but it's it's very strange, you, mm-hmm. you know. To you think to 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 make a cartoon series and not really clarify from the beginning whether or not it's a female or a male. Yeah. Because in a weird way, I always thought of the toy. Cause I remember, I never owned the toy, but whenever I see the artwork, I just I always thought of this is going to sound maybe incredibly sexist. I always thought of a horse as quite a male kind of, you know, steed for Shira kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't, exp- you know, it sounds weird, but I, I was associated Swiftwind right from the beginning as a male. And then when, um, I think when I got the old uh, animation by filmation book, there's this storyboard page of She-Ra's transformation, and it's, it talks about the transformation. One of the panels, it says about Swiftwind being a female, and I was like, oh, that's the first I've heard of that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, fair enough, for about 10 years, I didn't even acknowledge She-Ra existed. But, um, as criminal as that sounds, but yeah, I just, I, I always, I always I think we should hang up on it. Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I always thought of Swiftwind as a, as a male. That might be just Well, I, know. I mean, I had a, I had Crystal Swiftwind. I don't think I had the, uh, the regular Swiftwind, but I mean, I just thought of it, even though it was pink, as a male horse. That's what I mean. Just yeah. because he was male in, you know, he spoke male in the cartoon. 
But um, how do we feel as Swifty's baby being the finale? It was the only choice out of the ones we got. I think it's nice. It's nice that you've got the the last He-Man episode being Assault on the Hive, as James was was saying. Um, But it's also nice to give She-Ra her own swan song. Yeah, she she was an entity of her own. Yeah, if Assault on the Hive had been the last after She-Ra episode, it wouldn't have been right in terms of. It'd have been appropriate to see them go out together, but the fact that, like you say, as a She-Ra episode, you want to see her have her own final episode. Yes. And to have um, He-Man and Skeletor and all that lot in it, it's, a, it's too distracting. Because no yeah. doubt, when, when someone like Skeletor appears in a She-Ra episode, your attention is pretty much diverted away from everybody else because you're like, oh, it's Skeletor. Mm. It's quite ironic that you know the final episode could have changed the She-Ra dynamic quite a lot. Oh, you know, completely, it's, yeah quite a massive thing you know one of the character one of the main characters having a child i mean they probably would have just forgotten about it and we would have never seen star or the baby ever again but um well, it's I mean, nice around it i've got sorry go no i was just going to say it's nice that uh, there's something you know at least half dramatic happen in the in the last episode and swiftwind shows a lot of courage as well he's, he's got some great moments when he dives into the sea and tries to swim up to save star so, um, and you know, Swiftwind was quite in a, a sort of not an abandoned character throughout the series, but he wasn't considering he was at such a massive part of Shira's life. He wasn't hugely used, so it's nice to give him some airtime. Uh, how do we feel, real quick, about them all saying for the honor of Grayskull? Or yeah, at the end, like, have they done this that, before? Because I don't. They recall. did that in um, Shades of Orco as well. Okay. Okay. It's well, I don't like that. They shouldn't no, know I the don't. phrase. They shouldn't know the phrase. Well, the worst one is in, in Shades of Orco, Bow, Glimmer, and everybody says it. It's like yeah. that. You know, but, um, yeah. It's, it's, it's acceptable in Swifty's baby. But at the same time, you know, they're, they've gone on about how it's okay to be different and how they're happy with their, yeah, their offspring. Yeah, yeah. Force, and then they go ahead and transform him because of the powers of Grayskull. It's, you know, yeah. again, mixed messages to the poor kids who think, you know, it's fine to be different. But if you can be changed, it's even better. <laughs> All right, the one special feature that we want to really quickly talk about is the storyboards for Silaxian Wars. Um, I like them. I think it would have been a good episode. Do you think it was too violent? Um, not really. I mean, there was a shot in the storyboard of um, loads of Horde troopers just lying, like, exploded and dead on the floor, <laughs> which was a bit, um, not something you'd usually see. But I don't think it was too violent. There was a lot of action. I think it would have been a good episode. If they'd have made it into an episode, it would have. Um, they would have made sure that everyone knows that they're robots. Oh you know, yes. Shira, yeah. Shira said robots or, or horde troopers in every other sentence, just to, to you know, outline that there was no killing or no, you know, no one was getting hurt, <laughs> uh, you know, through all of this. Um, but no, I think you know the storyboards. I think there was a particular panel of of Huntara dripping in sweat. That's um, right. Yeah, adrenaline. Um, which I think could have been great. I mean, Huntara is such a good character. It was a shame she wasn't brought back. But at the same time, there were so many robot. You know, uh, robots. The Horde Troopers were in so many different scenes throughout the series, especially in season two when you didn't get the other villains. That um, maybe it would have been too awash with robots. I don't know. Hard to tell, but I it would just, have been... Go ahead. Sorry, go on. I just was going to say, I would have really liked Huntara to make another appearance in the series. Definitely. Definitely. And she totally, she totally deserved it. 
because she was, for me, the standout guest character from season one. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. I liked that it had um, Horde Prime's the main villain in this episode, apparently. That's right, yeah. And he's got like um, dialogue saying, bring me She-Ra and stuff. Oh, yes. So it would have been interesting to see him in that kind of role. Definitely. Well, if any of us uh, hit the lottery. (laughs) Yeah, this is quite straightforward. (laughs) (laughs) We already have the storyboard done. Yeah, job. And apparently we should be able to obtain most of the stock footage. (laughs) (laughs) Most of it was from The Price of Freedom, actually, wasn't it? Yeah, there's a lot of it from The Price of Freedom. Freedom. It's um, also, I think, if, if I remember rightly, the um, production number because they had started. Obviously, they'd done the storyboard, so it was it was in the process. The production number, I think, was oh um, seven eight, which was Whispering Woods. Yeah, when Whispering Woods last bloomed. So sure. we can sure. only assume that they shelved the Silaxian Wars, and then because you know Spinnerella and Natasha were coming around anyway as the new figures, um, and they got that episode written instead. All right. Well, once again, another spectacular DVD release. We thank uh, BCI Eclipse and Entertainment Rights for getting the She-Ra Princess of Power series completely released on DVD. You can pick up season, uh, The Best Of, which includes Secret of the Sword. You can pick up Volumes 1 and 2 of Season 1 of She-Ra. And now you can pick up the finale, uh, Season 2 of She-Ra, all on one DVD set. Uh, check it out. Most definitely you will not be disappointed. Uh, thanks again to uh, James, Martin, and Alex, especially, for joining us on this uh, Master's Cast. And I'm John Callis, also known as The Shadow. I'm Martin Penny, also known as Wacky Martin. I'm James T. Tuck, also known as Buster Tones. And I'm Alex Hawkey, also known as Scorpia. Good, Good journey! Journey! Well, <laughs> 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 <Probably> we tried. <laughs> <laughs>